Hey, church family, happy Father's Day. Uh, you know, I, I love what Father God does for Jesus when he launches into ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and God from heaven speaks out loud. He splits the sky, and the Spirit, like a dove, descends on Jesus, and the Father himself says, that's my son, I love him and I'm pleased with him. He gives him identity and he gives him, he gives him value and he gives him love. Before he ever does one thing in ministry, God is identifying him as a son, loving him as a son, and valuing him as a son. My dad and mom are both in ministry. My middle brother is a pastor. My sister is a pastor. I are a pastor. And it wasn't the family business. It wasn't like someday you're going to grow up. So we're having to do, you know, calisthenics of thus saith the Lord. You know, we, we didn't have to like work to become in ministry. It just was a call that God uniquely placed on us. But I want to say something about my dad. My dad put identity and value and love in me before I ever did anything in ministry. Um, my dad is the kind of man that uh, is not a perfect man, but he is authentic all the way down. Uh, if you cut him deep, you'll still see Jesus. Uh, my mom and my dad both are incredible Christian examples. It's one thing to be raised in a Christian home. It's another thing to be raised by true Christ followers. You can want to raise your kids in a Christian home because you got the right music or you're going to church or you're saying a prayer before a meal, but it's really all the stuff that happens in between when the going gets tough, when the, te when the heat's turned up, when there's circumstances and people and problems and the messy middle of life. And I want you to know that I am super blessed to have had a mom and a dad, continue to have a mom and a dad that have been the same all the way down through thick and through thin. Today, as my family is on uh, some time of rest together, it is my privilege to introduce our guest speaker today. He is my dad. I love him, and I am well pleased with him. Would you give a great Timber Creek welcome, everybody, to my dad, Terry Nancy. Well, good morning, everybody. What a joy to be with you. And... Uh, you guys can edit this out. I just want to know, what is the deal, Jeremiah Lynn? You invite me to come preach Father's Day, and then you go away? <laughs> All right, I'm done venting. We are thrilled that your pastor and his precious family are able to get away. And I am just honored that he asked me to be with you today and bring a word. Now, he's been in a, a series teaching through and preaching through the book of Romans. <clears throat> I'm not. I'm going to preach today a message that I've titled, Can Do, Can Do as Promised. Now the last point may be most apropos to fathers, but all of it is appropriate for all of us. So I want to talk to you about an old guy named Caleb. He wasn't always an old guy. He was at one time a young virile, powerful uh, army scout, and he hit some hard times because of other people's choices. 
We pick up the story on Caleb after he has turned 85 years old. And he's still waiting on the promise of God to unfold in his life. And we'll pick up on the story in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14. Now Caleb brings a bunch of young guys with him and he approaches Joshua and they are in the middle of the conquest of Canaan, the conquest of that land that we call Israel today. They've already defeated Jericho, they've already had a bunch of kings that they've beaten, these uh, village kings, these uh, city-states, and now it's time to begin to divide up the land. And so some of the land they're dividing up and it's already conquered. Other parts of the land they're supposed to conquer it after they say, this is your portion, this is your portion, this is your portion, portion, sickum. Well, Caleb comes to Joshua in that, in that strategic meeting where they're dividing up the land and we pick up the story with verse 12 as he's talking to his friend, his compatriot for, for many, many, many years. He's talking to Joshua and he says to Joshua, verse 12, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there. Anak was the, the, the um, ancestors of Goliath. We probably remember the story of David and Goliath. So uh, the, the Anakim or Anak people were, were giants. They were very big, powerful people. And we found these giants living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. We'll pick up on more of the story in a moment, but then we're going to jump to chapter 15 and read verse 18 and 19 because there it's uh, verse, or, uh, pardon me, chapter 14 is kind of the prequel and chapter 15 is the rest of the story. Caleb and his teams have uh, defeated the land and they are now controlling it and it picks up on this pastor, pastor uh, or Joshua 15, chapter 15, verse 18, when Aksa married Othniel. Aksa is the daughter of Caleb. Talking to several folks this morning about what did you name your child. Now, Aksa doesn't sound like a particularly appealing name to me, um, but Aksa is uh, what her name was. And she married Othniel. Othniel now, this is where it gets really Arkansas. <laughs> if you read all of chapter 15, <clears throat> you find out that Othniel is, is Axe's first cousin. <laughs> that just, but, but that's, the, that's the story, and I'm sticking with it. And she married him because she was a trophy wife. Her daddy, Caleb, had said, now we've got these towns already beat, but this town, whoever leads the charge and actually defeats this town, I'll give that guy, I'll give that guy my precious daughter, Axa. And I'm sure there was some guy in the group that looked like Dave Batista that wanted to win. But the guy that probably looked a lot like Tom Cruise did win, and that was Othniel. We don't know. But he won, and he 
married his first cousin. She was the trophy wife. So when Aksa married Othniel, she urged him to ask her daddy for a field. As she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what's the matter? Do you notice the shift in, in uh, the leading of the conversation? So she says, honey, daddy won't say no to you. Just go ahead and ask him. He's given us this land, but we need some water on this thing. And so, so ask daddy. And I think Othniel must have said, baby, hey, you talk to your daddy. I am not going to just, just act like it wasn't enough. I'm not going to be that son-in-law. And so she marries him, urges him. He won't do it. She gets off the donkey. Caleb asks her, what's the matter? She said, give me another gift. You've already given me land in the Negev. Now please give me springs of water too. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. Some would read this and they would say, boy, she must have been one of those little divas, one of those little princesses that, that just got whatever she wanted. And, and, um, but I don't think that's who she was. And we'll un unpack that in a moment. So I want to talk to you about Caleb. Can do as promised. Can do as promised. Now, this message title makes some assumptions. It assumes that there's a task, even in summertime. And what is this? I get out of my car in Kansas and my, my glasses never fog up. <laughs> I got off the plane yesterday and I... I it was horrible. So, even in summertime, in this crazy heat and humidity, a task needs to, to be done. It, it exists. This title assumes that this task deserves your and my best energy, and it assumes that there's capacity in this room to get it done, that a faith filled community of people that call Timber Creek Church their, their home family, church family, you believe that you have a task to do and that you can get it done. Now, what is the task? I suggest that your task, this church's task, is to make this part of East Texas an easy place to experience the presence and forgiveness of Jesus. Have you noticed that there's a lot of religious people that don't follow Jesus down here in East Texas? Seven of us have noticed that. How many of you have noticed that? How many of you have not noticed that? How many of you, no matter what I say, you will not raise your hand? <laughs> Our task is to make this part of the state, it's to make your home, it's to make where you work an easy place to experience the presence and forgiveness of Jesus. You see, I've come to the place that I believe that if people can feel the presence of Jesus, they've got a shot at finding eternal life. But if they don't feel the presence of Jesus, they have no hope. And so your task in this hot summertime is to make sure people feel the presence of Jesus. Now this task requires a constant maintenance to the way all of us live our lives. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, walking around in guilt and shame that we, you know, we messed up, we said something out of line, or we stumbled into a gossipy moment. Or, I'm not talking about beating ourselves up. But we do need to, as we follow Jesus, we need to keep looking for ways to, to just move toward more of Jesus. 
to keep discovering ways to grow more like Him in our character, in our, in our marriage, in our father responsibilities, our mama responsibilities, in our values. I love what Dr. Mark Rutland says. Whatever level you've attained in the Spirit of Jesus, He does not want you to remain there. He calls us ever toward more. That's where Caleb was living. Caleb modeled moving toward more. He, he modeled how it was to upgrade life and, and to, to upgrade his experience and the fulfillment of God's promises to him. So he has this, this can-do attitude. Remember, he's 85 years old. So here's the deal. Caleb's can-do attitude, it stands out to me, number one, because he knew the value of clinging to a promise from God. Friends, God has made some promises to every one of us. Some of them, he made promises to you simply. You were opening the Bible or, or you were opening your Bible and you were, and he, he just spoke something jumped up out of, maybe it was John chapter 21 or maybe it was Genesis 17 or you were reading in the Psalms or, or in the proverb of the day. But somewhere along the line, you just, you knew that God had made a promise to you. Well, Caleb was that kind of guy, and he knew the value of clinging to a promise from God. Verse 9 of chapter 14, that day Moses solemnly promised me, Caleb says. Verse 10, now as you, Joshua, can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Verse 12, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. Caleb is clinging to the promise of God. He's not clinging in desperation. He's clinging in faith. He knows that when God speaks something, God is not intending to live shorter than his word. God wants to fulfill his promises to us. And Caleb believed that. Clinging. Clinging to the promises of God. It helps us. Clinging to God's promises helps me stay focused about what really matters. Have you, have you ever, now, I'm sure nobody in this room, any married couple, I'm sure none of you have ever had fusses about irrelevant, silly, stupid things. I know. Now, Karen and I have, but nobody else ever has. I, I get that. I get that. I get that. But when we step back and say, wait a minute, is this going to matter in a week? Or in a month? Or in a year? Is this, does this matter for the kingdom of God? When I know what matters most, when I cling to the promise of God, it helps me stay focused on what really matters. And it helps me and you keep the main thing of life, the main thing, instead of majoring on minors. When I cling to the promises of God, it assures me a better day will eventually dawn. You need to hear this, friends. What you're going through, God intends that you go through. I said, God intends that you go through. And when I have a promise from God, it assures me that a better day will eventually dawn. What you're facing has a termination date. What you're facing, it's like a gallon of milk you buy at the store. There'll be a day that thing expires. You were built, however, to outlast it because God has made some promises to you. Some of us as men, some ladies, all of us as human beings that are trying to follow Jesus who have been seeking 
seeking Him who are walking in His grace, we know that God's promises will get us through. God's promise will get us to a better day. Thirdly, clinging to God's promise fortifies me. <laughs> it for, it, again, nobody else lives here, but, but this is where I live. It fortifies me to endure people who think small and dream single-dimension colorless dreams. It fortifies me to get past the knuckleheads. I know I'm the only one that ever has that experience. Everybody else lives on some cloud, and you play, play a, a, a harp. And it, boy, On a side note, aren't you glad heaven won't be sitting around half-naked playing a harp? <laughs> Me sitting around playing a harp without a shirt on, just, I just think beached whale. It, that, that just doesn't... That just doesn't sound fun. But Caleb had a promise from God, and it fortified him to say, I can get through. Others wouldn't believe God, but I believe God, and their choices are affecting my life, but their choices will not dominate my life. And when I cling to God's promises, it enables me to outlast the naysayers. I can outlast them. I imagine, now this is Terry Yancey's imagination, it, it probably far from, from reality, but here's how I imagine Caleb. So for 40 years, the people, because of the disobedience, so let me back up and give you the, the rest of the story. So Moses sends 12 spies, one guy from every tribe. Joshua and Caleb are the only two of the 12 that come back saying, let's, let's get this thing done. The other 10, by the way, does anyone know, can anyone name one without looking in your Bible, can any one of you name one of the 10 that came back saying, we can't do it, they'll kill us all. Can any of you name them? I am yet to find anyone that knows the names of the quitters. But I hear a lot of people say Joshua and Caleb didn't quit. We know their names because they had a promise from God and cling to it. So I just wonder if the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, stayed faithful, the other 10, now that they came back and rejected the plan of God and the people of Israel have to go and wander around in the wilderness for 40 long years, I do wonder, I may be wrong, but I do wonder if Caleb, after a few years, started standing outside the tent of some of those other guys, wondering, are they going to come out today, or did they finally croak last night? I just wonder if he stood there waiting, and then when the tent flap opens up, and here comes this old guy out that Caleb says, Ah! Oh! When the last one finally dies, he would have been excited because he knew that God said, none of that generation will go in. But Joshua and Caleb, you'll go in to the promise. You're going to enjoy the promise. And so when they all died, the naysayers, when they were gone, Caleb said, I outlasted them. Why? Because I had a promise from God. There are people who say, no, it'll never happen. There are people who have done stuff that have slowed you down, but you are designed and built by a living God to outlast the naysayers. Hallelujah. So, 
cling to God's promises that he's made to you, to your family, to your church. I'm telling you, it just excites my wife and me every time we're around any of our kids. But with being in, in Timber Creek today, when Jeremy starts talking about where the Lord is leading you as a congregation and what the Lord is helping you as a congregation to do, and it just thrills us that God is, has made some promises and you are, don't give up. Don't give up on the promises because this church is all about seeing lives transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, brought out of darkness into the light. And so all the steps that you're taking, those are promises from God, and you cling to those, hold on to those, because God will not fail his promises to you. That's what Caleb knew, and that's why he had this, this can-do attitude. Number two. Caleb's can-do attitude stands out because he knew the power of keeping company with like-minded people. Dave Ramsey says that if you want to increase your personal wealth, that you will best be served if you will hang around people who financially do better than you. If you hang around people who have some acumen that you don't have. And you hang around them understanding that, um, uh, that, well, the Bible says to the negative side in 1 Corinthians, I think is our 2 Corinthians. I can't remember the exact address. I know you're shocked I don't have it all memorized, but I don't. But, but it says the bad company corrupts good morals. But if we hang with people who are like-minded, if your closest friends are those who are negative and down and they doubt God and they don't trust Jesus and every time that they get mad, they just cuss up a blue streak. And, and when, if you hang around with people who think all the preacher wants is their money, before you know it, you start thinking like them. But Caleb, who had a promise from God, he knew the power of keeping company with like-minded people. Chapter 14, verse 6, a delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb is leading a younger generation of people, and he's, they're picking up his spirit. They're, they're picking up his spirit. Are the people you hang with picking up your spirit, your hunger for God, or are they, are they pulling you back? If they're pulling you back, change your crowd. You say, well, they need Jesus. Well, of course they do. But if they're cooling off your fervor for Jesus, you're not getting them Jesus. <laughs> this is a moment of gut check. It's a moment of self-preservation. Hang with people who are like-minded that want the presence of God to permeate deep East Texas. So Caleb leads these young guys. It indicates he's had influence on them. Numbers chapter 13 tells a story of a time that Caleb wasn't so influential. I've already referenced it, the 12 spies, they go out and for 40 days, they roam around the land and they're spying it out and, and they come back and Caleb and Joshua are saying, look at the size of the grapes. I mean, they had so many grapes, they were, two guys were carrying it on poles and, and they're saying, wow, we have, God is going to help us, we're going to take this great land. And the other 10 started saying, no, we can't, no, we can't, no, we can't. Now, I promise you, it just, at least it makes sense to me that when the... 12 spies were trying to, to get back to the Israelite camp to make a report. I don't think that the 10 negative guys were acting all positive and happy 
until they get to Moses and in front of the congregation, then they start puking all of their negativity. Joshua and Caleb could not influence those 10, 40 years, 45 years prior, they couldn't influence those 10 to believe God and to move forward. They tried, but they couldn't get it done. Just because you've not always succeeded where you want to succeed with a group of people or friends doesn't mean you and I should give up. It means stay at it because if we stay the course, we will, after a lifetime, we will have people following after us that have the same kind of heart that we have. So if you have a heart for God and others aren't listening yet, stay there, stay in it, stay, keep your heart moving for Jesus, and you will eventually impress others to follow the same heart you have. And so here he is 45 years later, the old guy of the group, he's made up some, some, he's built up some, some courageous young disciples and he leads them to the delegation. I'm saying to you, dads, moms, Everybody in this room, let's be people with a can-do attitude that says we're going to hang with people who will help us accomplish what matters for eternity. That makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. Number three, Caleb's can-do attitude stands out because he knew the rightness of attempting impossible tasks on the strength of an invisible promise. I just love here, well, Oral Roberts wrote years ago a book that he titled, See the Invisible, Do the Impossible. If you can see the invisible, you can do the impossible. Do you remember Jesus saying, if the blind lead the blind, they all fall in the ditch? Do you remember that? If the blind, if those who can't see, lead those who can't see, then everybody that can't see falls in the ditch logical. But if in the spirit realm, because of a promise that God made you, you can see it. Others don't see it yet. Dad, maybe your wife and kids don't see it yet. But if you see it and there's the sense and the witness of the Holy Spirit and you can see some invisible promise that makes you want to lead a certain way, Maybe, maybe, Dad, you're saying, you know, we, we need to step up our giving. We, we've, we've been tipping, God. We need to move into tithing. We, we need, I mean, like, like a full 10% of everything that we get on our each paycheck. We, we're going to start giving 10%. And maybe your spouse is saying, baby, we don't have 10%. I mean, we owe Visa and MasterCard and, and the bank. And, we, and the kids need a new backpack before school starts. You know, baby, we've got, listen, Dad... Maybe it's not dad, maybe it's mom that wants to move in this direction. If you can see the promise of God, you see, God said, test me in this. So we can talk about finance. Test me in this and see if I won't pour out blessings if you will just honor me first, first. So whatever God's promised you, if you can see what nobody else sees, you see the invisible, then what's impossible is not impossible to you. You can see it, and you can lead blind people and keep them out of the ditch because you see the promise of God. That was Caleb's story. He said in that verse, but if the Lord is with me, if the God promised me these things, and if the Lord is with me, we will drive these giants out of the land just as the Lord said. So I, I live in Kansas.
and uh, I don't know all that much about Texas, but Google knows everything. <laughs> so Angelina County, did you know that in the vote to secede from the Union in the Civil War era that Angelina County was one of the only counties in Texas to vote not to leave the Union? Did you know that Angelina County is named for a woman that Spanish missionaries received help from when they were working this area. She was a Native American lady and she served and helped them to do their work. This county is named after a woman who had a heart for people to experience the presence of Jesus. How many of you knew that? How many of you didn't know it? How many of you know, no matter what I say, you won't raise your hand? All right. <laughs> just, just, just testing. This county, like the other 253 counties of Texas, the devil has stamped impossible on this. Do you, you understand that? The devil has stamped impossible. It's impossible that dead churches would experience a, a modern day revival. It's, it's impossible that churches who currently don't preach the truth of the Bible, that they could have an awakening in their pastor and in their leadership circles where they would say, we have ran too long from the truth of God. We're going to press in to God. For those, the devil says this is impossible. But if you can see the invisible, you can do the impossible. The devil stamps on Angelina County that it's impossible that hearts would soften toward the gospel. It's impossible that religious people would actually connect to Jesus in reality and not just in theory. That they would, that, you know, have you, you, you've met those folks. You, you ask them, hey, come to church with me. And, you know, I'd love to have you. And, oh, well, no, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I, I don't go to those those. Uh, those uh, kind of churches like you go to. <clears throat> they aren't following Jesus. Their lifestyle proves they're not following Jesus, but they're religious. I'm a Methodist. Oh, I'm a part of the Assemblies of God. I, I don't need what you have. I'm, I'm okay. If people aren't following Jesus but are religious, religion is going to take more people to hell than crack cocaine. We need to know Jesus, but we need to understand that the devil says religious people will never come up out of their religion and actually walk with Jesus. The devil stamps impossible on this church. He says all the vision and big dreams that, that this church has, it will never fully come to pass. Continue to dream the dream God has given you. That's what Caleb did. He continued to dream as he aged. <laughs> it's, older is not the same as old. My driver's license is plastic. And that plastic card has a plastic date on it. That plastic date that says in the 26th of August I'll turn 64 years old, that doesn't mean that I have wisdom or that I'm, I don't have wisdom. It means that come August 26th of this year, I will have ridden the earth around the sun 64 full times. That's all it means. It means I got older. Old 
I've, I've met 30-year-olds that are old. Oh, they can still play softball, and, and they, can still, they can still play basketball, and they can still stay up till 4 in the morning and then go work all day. And I, I know that, but they're old. You know why? Because the difference in older and old is this. Old is when, when I won't risk anymore, when I won't try to keep growing. When I say, no, I'm okay. I don't need any more from God. You just stepped out of older into old. Caleb was an older guy, but he wasn't old because he was still willing to risk everything to accomplish what God wants. Older speaks of calendar change. Are you old? Do you have a can-do attitude? Are you willing to attempt impossible tasks on the strength of God's promise? I'm saying to us, let's attempt it. Don't live out our days regretting what we didn't try. You're in a job that the only reason you stay with is because it pays the bills, and you hate going day after day after day. I'm suggesting start making a plan. I mean, probably not a good idea just to, like, quit in the morning. (laughs) You won't care, but your creditors won't like it pay your bills, but don't just take it as if, oh, well, surely I can hold on another 30 years and retire and not have to do this anymore. Risk. Start making a plan. Try something new. Attempt it. Don't live out your days regretting what you didn't try. And number four, are you getting anything out of this? I hope you are. I hate to fly all the way down here and try to preach and you don't get anything. But if you don't get anything, it's it's helping me. I'm not going to have to go to my therapy appointment this week. I mean, I'm just getting all kinds of stuff off my chest. Number four, Caleb's can-do attitude stands out because he knew the joy of infecting his family with life-giving expectation. Othniel was the son of Caleb's brother. Now, my oldest brother has passed away, passed away in 2015. My next brother, Stevie, still alive, precious to me. We're good buddies. He's the middle child. So Donnie was born in 57, Stevie in 58, and I was born in 59. And when Donnie was alive, we'd be sitting around talking and something would happen. And if Stevie is watching this, He will know I'm telling the truth. But something would be said, and Donnie and I would be saying, yeah, that, and then this, and and then Stevie said, that didn't happen that way. We said, what do you you mean it didn't happen that way? We were there. He says, so was I. It didn't happen that way. And to this day, if Stevie Jean was here, sitting right there, he would say, he'd stand up and say, Terry's telling the truth. It didn't happen that way. That's what I said, you know. You can be raised in the same family and see things differently, right? And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Caleb's brother raised Othniel. Othniel was a great warrior. He proved it by by beating this, defeating this city, and he got the reward of getting to marry his first cousin. Again, in current culture, that just doesn't sound like a reward. 
I mean, I love my first cousin Cindy, and I love my first cousin Sandra, and I love my first cousin Tammy, but those three would be just as put off thinking about Mary and me as I would be about Mary. I mean, may I just say again? Chapter 15, verse 17 says, Othniel, the son of Caleb's brother Kenaz, was the one who conquered that city. So Aksa became Othniel's wife. And when she urged him to ask her daddy for a field, he wouldn't go there. So raised by brothers, this girl... And this boy, these first cousins, now husband and wife, raised in similar context, but something was missing in one home that was present in the other. And on this, on this important Sunday of your life, this may be one of the most important principles that you'll take away today or any day. Caleb knew the joy of infecting his family with life giving expectation. He says, baby, what's wrong? So she's talked to Othniel. Would you take care of this? Go talk to daddy. And evidently, Othniel declined the request. But she decided, I'm going to go talk to dad. I know what we need. And I've watched my dad live. And instead of just backing up, He knows that it's okay to step forward and express what you anticipate. Othniel wouldn't step up. She wasn't being a disobedient woman. She was being a woman of God who understood assertiveness because her daddy had modeled godly assertiveness for all of her life. There is something to be said for showing the next generation how to want more. Eighty-five years old, Caleb says to Joshua, I'm as able to go out and fight and come in as I was 45 years ago. Now, do you know any 85-year-olds? The ones who would say to me today, I can go out, I can fight just as well as I always did. (laughs) Listen, you you can go out to battle if you want to. Coming back's the trick. (laughs) But he says, I'm able to travel, I'm able to fight, I'm able to do everything I used to do. There was a supernatural strength based on the promise of God. So this girl, who would have obviously been born in Caleb's older years, she watches an old guy, an older, pardon me, an older guy, this aging powerhouse, say to Joshua, God's made me some promises and I want it. And I want it now. I want the hill country. He didn't say I want to like, like find a place where I can start on the top of the hill and the enemy's down there. I mean, I know how to roll a rock down a hill. Not much momentum rolling a rock up a hill. He says, give me the hill country. Give me the place where the big giants live. That's what God promised. That's what I want. Aksa saw something in her daddy that Othniel did not see in his dad. Oh, you say, well, my kids are grown and gone. It's too late. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. God has made promises to you, sir. God has made promises to you, lady. 
Start obeying them. Start clinging to them. Start believing them. Start voicing God's promises. Start showing them now. You say, but I wasted the 30 years previous, or I've already wasted the 18 years. My kids are grown. No. Start modeling it now. Don't let this next generation coast into tepid lives of spiritual satisfaction. Want more for yourself. Because when you want more, it has the capacity and the potential to stir that same kind of, of longing into the next generation. Karen and I have worked hard. As of today, we've been married 44 years, five months, 14, two weeks and one day as of this moment. And we've worked hard. We've prayed hard. We've given extravagantly. We face some hard things. But we look at our three kids and their spouses. They had good upbringings like our kids had. But once they launched, we've seen them go beyond where we ever even dreamed we could go. Every now and then I'll say to them, now mom and dad aren't done. So don't think, don't think you can coast. We're not done. And they're not in a competition with us. I'm not talking about anything weird. But there's something exponential, friends. If you have this desire, there is something exponential that if you've lived it, they will live it to a new degree. And the, the world you and I live in is a world that needs next level anointing, next level courage, next level generosity. So we set the bar, Caleb set the bar, he had a can-do attitude, and he wanted more. But it wasn't for selfish reasons, but selfless. Have you noticed selfish people, they, they're, they're, it's like there's a selfish people, it's like there's a spiritual body odor with them. You know, so they're just kind of repellent, you know, you want, you know uh, social distancing, thank you. <laughs> but have you noticed selfless people are like magnetic? You just want to hang with them because they're selfless. They're not self-aggrandizing. I think that's who Caleb was, selfless. But he knew what he wanted and why he wanted it. And his precious little princess daughter said, it was good enough for daddy. I think it's good enough for me. And oh, what a heritage. Othniel and Aksa gave to the next generation because eventually out of that tribe and out of that town that Othniel conquered and received Aksa for his wife out of that town a little boy a town nearby there a little boy named David was born and from that same tribe and that same town as David was born eventually came a little boy named Jesus born in Bethlehem you see the exponential potential of living with a can-do attitude? Will you stand with me?
you can do what God has envisioned for you to do. Cling to his promise. Surround yourself with others that share your expectations. Take spiritual risks and tell your family. Dad and mom, tell your family. Papa and grandma, tell your family. Follow me the way I follow Jesus. Follow me the way I follow Jesus. We said to our kids, we say to our grandkids, and if the Lord tarries and allows us someday to be great-grandparents, we're going to say the same thing. If you don't know for sure how to live a life that honors Jesus, just fasten your eyeballs right here. Fasten them right there. Watch us. Fasten your eyes on our shoulders and walk where we walk. Live like we live. They'll not be perfect, and they'll see our imperfections. But they will move in the right direction. And when that day comes that either Jesus comes back or I drop dead, I'll know that my kids and my grandkids and our great-grandkids have had an example like Caleb that says, when I fall, I'm going to fall in the right direction. And I'm not going to lay down. I'm going to get up. God made promises to you. You. You don't have to change all of Deep East Texas. Just let Jesus change your own heart. Bow your heads with me, please. Lord, in this moment, thank you for these men and women. Thank you, God, for Timber Creek Church. Timber Creek at Nacogdoches. Timber Creek in the other campus, the Groves. Timber Creek in the prisons. God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, whether, whether people are in a condition of, of incarceration, or they're here day to day on the streets working and raising a family, or single moms, single dad, unmarried people, juniors, seniors, high school, elementary, Lord, all of us that make up Timber Creek Church today, Lord, we want to live according to your promise. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room and you know whether they are or not, if there's anyone watching online that has not given themselves to the love of Jesus, I pray that right now in this moment that they will give their hearts and the rest of their lives to your purposes, that they will know what it is to not only experience your presence, but carry your presence as well. Help us, Lord, to be can-do kind of people because you've made a promise and we're clinging to it. We ask this all in Jesus' name and everyone that wants that said, amen. amen. You may be seated. God bless you.